Subscribe to The Leader to make sure you don't miss out on the best news, analysis and commentary every day at 4pm. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Labour's looking for a new leader. Is there anyone in the party who can beat Boris Johnson? My anxiety is is that we are not in the stage that Neil Kinnock was in 1992. We are where Michael Foote was in 1983. Our London editor Aisha Hazarika looks at the contenders, but also wonders if anyone actually wants the job. Also, it's really down to the uncertainty that Brexit's created. If an international federation is looking between European cities to host an event, it might prefer Paris, for example, because of that unknown Brexit effect of the whole logistics. Correspondent Matt Majendi on why London may be about to lose its place as the world's number one sports city. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, who could lead Labour to victory against Boris Johnson? And is there a new Granita deal already? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Will there be a vote this Friday, Mr. Rees-Mogg? Jacob Rees-Mogg was among arrivals at Downing Street as the Prime Minister summoned his cabinet to their first meeting since that election win. Inside, it was all smiles and confidence. Boris Johnson began with a reminder of just what had been achieved at the polls. I want to thank you all for your hard work in getting this government re-elected and backed by 109 new One hundred and nine new MPs helping create that majority of 80, installing one of the most powerful prime ministers in modern history. How does Labour come back from that? Our editorial column doubts the party has the right answer. Labour needs to work out why it has lost the past four contests under three different leaders and why the Conservative vote has gone up at the past six elections. Unfortunately, the party's response has been to start rushing about in search of a new leader rather than thinking first. Who will it be? Rebecca Long-Bailey is pulling ahead as the Corbynism without Corbyn candidate, 
But what would she do differently? I think we've got a wide membership at the moment who are very passionate about certain policies. Now that's not directly owned by Jeremy Corbyn himself, that's owned by all of our members. The remains of the centre-right of the party are hoping someone such as Keir Starmer or Yvette Cooper might make it. An even braver choice would be to pick Jess Phillips. The Prime Minister that we have at the moment is playing some bully boy game yeah, yeah, of some bully boy public school that I probably won't understand any more than I understand parliamentary procedures. Yeah. And I am absolutely... Oh, sorry, would the honourable gentleman like to make an intervention? Crack on. But being good at spiky phrases isn't the same as dragging together a competent opposition and taking on a government with a massive majority. We should have absolutely no embarrassment about saying that we are a people's government and this is a people's cabinet and we are going to be working to deliver on the priorities of the British people. Whoever wins will find that voters have switched off. That period of reflection could take years. Aisha Hazarika, one thing that intrigued me last night when I was looking at people who are likely to be going for the Labour leadership was how quickly and how decisively Sadiq Khan said, well, I'm not going anywhere near that. Is this a poison chalice? Yes, I think it is. I mean, a lot of people are naive if they think that suddenly the Labour Party is going to snap back to being some, you know, election winning machine. I think the journey back for the Labour Party to being electable and to being a, a big force in, in British politics could take quite some time. And I was very struck by the Sadiq Khan intervention. And I actually tweeted last night that I think that's a very savvy move on his part. Because if you are ambitious like Sadiq Khan, keep away from the Labour Party for the next four or five years, you carry not you carry on winning and being the London mayor and getting a lot of practical hands-on experience of of running something, then maybe in five years time you suddenly say, you know, actually I'm ready to come back into national frontline politics. And I don't think he's the only Labour mayor. I think Andy Burnham might think about doing that. Dan Jarvis um might think about doing that. So I think there's going to be I think this Labour fight back is not a fast thing. I think you could be looking at a decade-long project. A lot of men you just mentioned there, but actually it's, there's a lot of women who are going to be vying for this one. And it appears to be some manoeuvring already. Angela Rayner and Rebecca Long-Bailey apparently having some kind of a pact. It's a little bit reminiscent of Gordon Brown and Tony Blair. Though, <laughs> the granita. That worked out really well, didn't it? That worked out really well <laughs> for, for a them. While, yeah. For a while it worked out. Uh, what's happening there? So... It is reported that they have um, made some kind of deal. They're very good friends. They share a flat together that Rebecca Long-Bailey would stand as leader and Angela Reyna would be um, deputy. Now, this has appeal in, in many ways. They're both very popular within the party. Um, they're people who have sort of supported the Jeremy Corbyn project. However, what a lot of people are kind of um, worried about is that is it the right thing for the party to have two people who are so closely associated with Jeremy Corbyn, two MPs from pretty much the same part of the country, the North West? So it's interesting. A lot of people are already kind of gunning for Rebecca Long-Bailey. And I think that's a bit of a mistake. I do think one of the lessons that the Labour Party has got to learn is that we do have to have a proper fair contest. 
I am very interested to see what Rebecca Long-Bailey has got to say. She's somebody who, let's be honest, none of us know that much about. What do we know um, of her is that she was very much favoured by John McDonnell. Now, that has pros and that has minuses. Uh, she was put forward during this election campaign. She fronted up one of the big televised leaders' debates. She's done Prime Minister's questions. She's seen as being quite a safe pair of hands. I get slightly annoyed with some of my colleagues who are probably more on the right of the party already writing Rebecca Long-Bailey off because she was close to John McDonnell. Is it possible that this woman might have her own mind? You know, do we always have to put on quite a sexist trope that if a woman has had a kind of relation, a professional relationship with an older man, that she's just going to be a creature of that person? I think that's quite insulting. And I just think we've had so much aggression in the Labour Party. And I'm not naive. I'm, I, I mean, I'm sure that is going to sort of continue. But let's not kill off all the candidates. Let's not get ourselves into a circular firing squad before this contest has even started. Is Jeremy Corbyn right then to hold on up until March? Because there is some pressure from some people in the Labour Party wanting to go basically now. I think he should have gone now. I think he should go today. I think there should be an interim leader. I am missing Tom Watson because what what would normally happen is that the deputy leader would step up to be the interim leader. That's what happened when I worked for Harriet Harman. That happened twice uh, in 2010 and 2015. It just means that the party has a bit of breathing space to, to start sort of rebuilding and start to prepare for the election contest. To me, it seems in very, very bad faith. And it seems pretty corrupt, actually, to have all the same people who had presided over this kind of shattering defeat to still be around. And I do think it's going to be really bad for the morale of the party. You just think, what is that first Prime Minister's questions going to look like where you have this enlarged, you know, muscular, frat boy, cheering Conservative Party who are, you know, are going to be absolutely cheering Boris Johnson to the rafters. And fair enough, you know, the guy has just won a landslide victory. You're going to have the Labour side, a diminished parliamentary Labour Party, shrunk in its size on the other side of the opposition benches. And you're going to have the same person facing Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson wiping the floor with him week in, week out until March. I think that's going to be very, very damaging for party morale. It's going to look insurmountable for some of the time. Is the left itself in trouble in the United Kingdom? Yes, the left is in trouble. The left has been in trouble for a long time. And I say this with a heavy heart. I think the left will continue to be imperiled for some time to come because I think there is a hardcore grouping on the left and the people around Jeremy Corbyn but not just him his cheerleaders in the media and on social media as well people like Len McCluskey as well who are perpetuating a very narrow view of how politics should work and don't get me wrong I think there are many things that I liked in the manifesto I think Jeremy Corbyn did change the narrative on public spending, on austerity, on the fact that, in my view, I think a functioning society should have a, a decently funded and a decent sized state. So I think um, you can say that it would be wrong to just throw everything out, like throw the sort of baby out with the bathwater. But to argue that you won those arguments when the public rejected them so badly, 
And I think the left will be in peril if it persists in just having this very ideologically pure vision of what a proper person on the left looks like. And until it understands that you will never win elections unless you reach out to people who have voted another way to persuade them to vote for you and also just to pick somebody that's got mass appeal then the left will continue I'm afraid to be on the losing side my anxiety is is that we are not um in the stage that Neil Kinnock was in 1992 my anxiety is that we are where Michael Foote was in 1983 and it could well be a very, very long fight back to have a Labour government. Next. The mayor has made a big push for London being the sporting capital of the world, and he's done so since taking over from Boris Johnson in the role. Also, he's adamant it still retains that title. Matt Majendi talks to the leader about his special report into London's place as the world's number one city for sport. Could Paris overtake it? Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. London is the world's top city for sport, but its crown is under threat. The ATP finals are leaving for Turin, and the US basketball body, the NBA, is expanding in Paris, not here. In the Evening Standard sports pages, Matt Magendi has been looking at what needs to be done to keep London in pole position. He's out of the newsroom interviewing for the piece, but joins me now, Matt. For your story, you quote the MD of BCW Sport, who compiled the global rankings as saying that Brexit has not helped. Why does he think that? It's really down to the uncertainty that Brexit's created, although it was only conjecture on his part, the sense that no one quite knows how Brexit will take shape. But if an international federation is looking between European cities to host an event, it might prefer Paris, for example, because of that unknown Brexit effect to the whole logistics. How has the Mayor of London responded to your article? The Mayor has made a big push for London being the sporting capital of the world, and he's done so since taking over from Boris Johnson in the role. Also, he's adamant it still retains that title. He's made a big play in particular of American sports coming to London, the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, all with a foothold in the capital. American sports have made an enormous impact in London. Uh, A YouGov poll produced this morning found that the economic impact of the two MLB games alone in London this summer between the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox equated to £37 million. And there's two further games planned this season, while there's also talk of the NFL games one day blossoming into a franchise relocating to London from the States. 
The one caveat to that of the big three in American sports is the NBA, which has left London for Paris. As for other sports and events looking this way, London's long been seen as two things. One, a safe pair of hands when hosting major sporting events, but also, two, the gateway for sport to the rest of Europe. Our leader in the newspaper poses the question, should we bid for the 2030 World Cup and 2036 Olympics? Can you answer that? Why not, actually? Uh, the UK and London at the heart of that has been a major player in hosting sporting events. The team around the 2030 Football World Cup have sounded a confident note, while UEFA said recently it was about time the tournament returned to England for the first time since 1966. However, it's FIFA that um, makes that final decision. As for the Olympics, that seems ambitious, just six Olympiads after London acted as host, although the International Olympic Committee has said it would, at the very least, welcome uh, an approach from London. And that's The Leader. We're back tomorrow as usual at 4pm, but at 7am you can get our latest audio news bulletin. It has all the overnight news from home and abroad and will set you up for the morning. Just ask your smart speaker for the news from the Evening Standard. We'll see you tomorrow.